So today we hear Jesus say, I have come to set the earth on fire. And then he says, do you think I have come to establish peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. This is not subtle language. This is not the I'm fine, you're fine, we're all okay, let's just be nice to each other language that so many people attribute to Jesus. And the fact that we find these lines in St. Luke's Gospel is even more jarring. You may not know this, but since I've been in seminary for a long time, I do, but a lot of people consider St. Luke's Gospel to be one of the most joyful ones, one of the most merciful ones. And so when we find this in there, it's like, whoa, what is going on here? So how do we understand these? How do we understand what Jesus is demanding of us when he says he wants to set the world on fire? And does he really want these divided families? So let's take it one one at a time. After Jesus speaks of that fire he wants the world to be set ablaze with, he immediately refers to a baptism. And he's most certainly talking about the Pentecost, where thousands were added to the church in one night, and where, if you remember, tongues of fire appeared above their heads. This is the fire Jesus wishes were here. The fire of the Holy Spirit living within each one of us. Because when we were baptized, it was with much more than just water. No, we were baptized with the divine fire of love and life proceeding out of the Holy Spirit into our hearts. This divine fire comes forth from God. It lives within us and it transforms us. And until we are baptized with this fire of the Spirit, the Gospel says Jesus is in anguish. Another translation says that he is constrained because Jesus needs us to be burning with this fire so that he can complete his mission, his mission of salvation from sin and death. In the book of Revelation, we hear the Holy Spirit say to the church in Laodicea, wherever that is, I'm not sure, it says, Because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Brothers and sisters, we can't be lukewarm in our faith. We can't live lukewarm lives. We have to be that fire. And not only do we have to be that fire, but we have to set the world on fire with God's love. And so to become that fire, we must, as the letter of the Hebrews tells us, rid ourselves of every burden of sin that clings to us. To lay it out there just so everybody understands what that means, it means we can't deny the teachings of the church when people ask us. We can't live our lives contrary to those teachings. And we really have to be honest with ourselves about this. So many of us, myself included, like to tell ourselves little lies. Like, this is just a little sin. It's okay. Or, I don't like this teaching. I'm going to pretend I didn't see it. That way, maybe I'm not on the hook. Or, I disagree with the church on this one, so I'm not going to follow it. I guarantee you, at one point in my life, all of those popped through my head. But these thoughts, 
These are not the work of God. These are the work of Satan, the father of all lies. Because he wants to turn us against God, against our own well-being, and against everything that it means to be a child of God. Against that fire inside of us that we were entrusted with at our baptisms. Because Satan wants us to fail at running that race that lies before us. That is not an easy race, though. Because in it, we're called to be exemplars of our faith to those around us. We have to be willing to suffer a little bit, as the prophet Jeremiah did in the first reading today. In the first reading, just before the excerpt we read, God had instructed Jeremiah to tell the king of Jerusalem to surrender the city because it was under siege by the Babylonians and they had no hope. This prophecy did not go over too well with the king. And so Jeremiah was thrown into a cistern. If you've never seen a cistern, they're quite deep. The walls are fairly smooth. It's pretty much impossible to climb out of one. And so this was basically a death sentence for Jeremiah. And he knew that going in. He knew the stakes going in. And yet he was willing to risk his life just to proclaim this message God asked him to. And it wasn't even a happy message. Now in the United States of America, we may not have to risk our lives for God, but we may be asked to risk other things. If God asks us to stand up for him, it could cost us career, money, friends, or even, as the gospel says, sometimes family. But it's not Christ who brings about this division. Again, that's the devil. The devil is the one who sows all that pain and division. Because the evil one is the reason that families turn against each other. Father against son, daughter against mother. The evil one is behind the sin that lives in the world today. And sadly, there are just too many people who helped him establish this structure where sin can continue to grow and flourish unchecked. And so when Christ said he came to establish division, it's not because he actually wants division. It's because it's not because he's only invited a few people to join him in heaven. The divisions that Christ talks about, those exist because he has called us to fight in this battle against the darkness, against the evil. We can't stay on the sidelines in this one. We have to pick a side. The one choice is the side of good and right and virtue, the side of God himself. And the other choice is to follow the evil one, the father of lies, who desires our downfall. One outstanding example we can look at, we celebrated his feast just this last week. This Christian who stared evil in the face and said, no more. This was St. Maximilian Kolbe. During World War II, he was arrested by the Nazis and sent to Auschwitz. And after one prisoner escaped that horrible place, the Nazis would always choose ten people to execute in retaliation. And so that one had escaped and they chose ten. One of these ten began to weep, begging to be spared. Father Kolbe saw this and he walked up to the commander which normally would get you shot on sight. And he said, I'll take his place. 
And the commander just sneers back, who are you? And St. Colby replies, a Catholic priest. That was good enough for the commander. He would take that opportunity. And so those ten men were locked in a room to starve to death. And yet yet St. Maximilian Colby led them in prayer and in song. He was the last of them. In fact, it took him so long to die that they wound up giving him a lethal injection. But this man stared evil straight in the face and said no. He stared evil in the face and won. And I think it's because of how he lived his life before that. Before all of this happened, St. Maximilian Kolbe wrote, the value of any community depends only and absolutely on our life of prayer, on our interior life, on our personal closeness to the Immaculate, that is Mary, and through her to the heart of Jesus. St. Maximilian Kolbe knew that our prayer life is what will bring us closer always to Jesus. The surest route to Jesus, St. Maximilian Kolbe would always teach, is through Mary. But it is this close, interior prayer life that allowed him and all the saints to say no to evil, to stand up for God and do whatever was necessary. If you read the story of any saint, of Father Emil Capon, who's not technically a saint, but close enough, right? of St. Augustine, of St. Francis of Assisi, of St. Thomas Aquinas, of St. Therese of Lisieux, of St. Catherine of Siena, St. Lawrence, you name a saint, you can find it in their story. You will find that each and every one of them begins with prayer. Let us remember those words that Jesus says. I have come to set the earth on fire and how I wish it were already blazing.